This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. We're going to jump on in and we're going to um, continue kind of in the vein of each one reach one. I know we're saying that a lot, but hey, sometimes we got to pound something in our head over and over again to get it, don't we? And how many of you know that each one of us is called to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Everyone who follows Jesus, surrendered life to him, is called to be a minister. And, you know, in the midst of this, it's tough because I think for a long time, you know, this, there was this whole idea that to minister Jesus, everybody thought of, thought of this evangelist out on some street corner, you know, preaching and passing out tracts and shouting, you know, at people as they go by and this kind of thing. And, and, uh, you know, I, and, and so it quickly made people say, well, I'm, I'm not evangelist. God hasn't, God hasn't called me to, to, to reach out evangelistically and, and reach people for him. But the reality is, I, I, I don't think that that's the ideal way to reach people anyway. Reality is God has placed you in just specific place in the world where you are. He surrounded you with the people that he wants you to reach. Amen? And so I, I want, we're going to talk about that some, but I, I, I want to kind of dispel this whole idea that this isn't for me. I want to dispel this whole idea that, you know, just because it's uncomfortable or it's not natural, because how many of you would say that you're a little bit more introverted? You're, you're not going to talk to the stranger on the elevator. <laughs> Zach better put his hand down. But yeah, me too. I'm, I'm the one that does smiles and gives the southern nod, and we're done, right? And it's not always natural to speak out to somebody in a moment. And, but that doesn't mean that you're not called to reach people for Jesus. People say, well, I'm not an evangelist. Well, let me tell you, as Christians, we've surrendered our lives to Christ. And now our mission is to follow him. Our mission is to follow his lead and his example, right? And so that begs the question, did Jesus love people? Well, our culture today, well, smart people in our culture ask the question, well, if your God is so loving, then how in the world could a loving God possibly, and they spill off all these things, right? It just shows their ignorance, <laughs> truly. I, I, I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I've been reading a book called, um, it's called, Is God a Moral Monster? And it, it goes back through the Old Testament and, um, and, and shows the heart of God all the way through Scripture. And um, and God's heart has always been for people. Did Jesus love people? It was his life. It's all that he lived for. It was what he was about. It was his purpose. Amen? Um, you know, we never see Jesus taking. He's always giving. And this is our example. And so as I got into this, you know, y'all who know me know that I'm, I'm all about teaching real practical things and giving you how-to steps. And that's kind of what I thought this would be initially a few weeks ago was just how-to steps to, to reach out to people in a natural way. But it kind of, the whole thing kind of transformed on me this week. And, and uh, so this is a little different for me. I, I don't have any how-to steps this week. We're going to kind of build um, on something. And uh, for the next three weeks, th this week I'm actually going to talk about Jesus' example, his mission, the life that he lived. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus' commands. We'll dig into the Great Commandment and the Great Commission and beyond and, and what he told us to do as he left us. And then, uh, and then the next week, I'm going to talk about Jesus and us and our responsibility. And so as we start that, we're talking about Jesus' example today. I, I want to tell you, I, I think you guys know this, but we were 
created to be like Jesus. From the very get-go, from the beginning of time, the whole idea was that we were to be like God. Amen? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us make human beings what? In our own image. And then in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, in the New King James, it says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I'll read it to you from the Message Bible real quick. It says, nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of his face so that we are transfigured much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become more like him. The whole idea is we're supposed to be like Jesus. And we're going to talk about more of that later on, uh, probably next week. But that's what brought me to the question is, so what was Jesus' example when it came to his love for others? Because that's the lead we're supposed to take, right? That's the example we're supposed to follow. So obviously we know that he went on to lay down his life, right? That was ultimately the fruition of what he came to do. Um, you know, his mission, what did it look like before that? And, and today what we're going to basically do is we're going to we're going to just kind of briefly break down two scriptures. So I want you to turn to Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to jump around a little bit, but if you've got a Bible with you, or it'll be on the screen. It's also in your notes and in, in your uh, service guide. But we're going we're gonna to basically stick there in, in Luke chapter 4 and, uh, for just, just two verses. And in, in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 is, is where we're going to be. But before I get to that, this, uh, this passage here, in Luke chapter 4 is where Jesus is, his ministry is just getting going. He had just, he had just gone and he'd been baptized by John the Baptist, right? And he, had been, um, and he had been tempted by the devil. And you look back about three scriptures from here, three or four scriptures, and it says as he came back to his homeland, he came back to the area of Galilee there, and he began teaching in the synagogue. So this is where it all started. We don't really see any miracles or anything going on. He's just getting going, right? And so He's been tempted by the devil. He comes kind of back home, and he just starts going to the synagogue and starts teaching. And it says the people, the people liked him. If you look at that, I think it's verse 16, they were, they were, they, they were uh, enthralled. They were amazed by his depth of teaching and such. So he's just teaching in the synagogue. They know him. They don't know him as the son of God. They don't know him as this great miracle worker. They know him as the son of Joseph, the carpenter, right? That's who he was. And they all liked him. I mean, it, it says there that, you know, they were amazed by his teaching, and he's been teaching. We don't know, they, you don't know exactly how long, a couple scriptures there, but if it had been a few weeks or a couple of months, but he's just started teaching in the synagogue. And as was the custom with his people, he heads on into the synagogue on the Sabbath, right? That's what we see here in, in, in verse 18. He's it's a Sabbath day, as was the custom. He went to the synagogue, and on that day, they would, uh, they would call on a different one of the men. They would call them up, and they would hand them a scroll to read from. And so that's what's happening here in verse 18. And so they call on Jesus. Jesus stands up, and they hand him one of the scrolls. What were the scrolls? The scrolls were the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament books. And so they hand him a scroll. Now, the scroll they handed him was Isaiah chapter 61. Now, Isaiah chapter 61 was written about 700 years earlier, and it was written about the coming Messiah. Think this was an accident? And so they basically stand up and they hand Jesus a scroll about the coming Messiah 
to the Messiah, right? Things are going to get ugly. No. And so in verse 18, Jesus begins to read. And this is coming, this is, this is supposed to be, this is Isaiah prophesying a word from the Lord as if it's from the coming Messiah. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he was done. Period. I'm going to read it to you from the New Living real quick. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And if you read on there, it says that he handed the scroll back and had a seat. And it says every eye was fixed upon him. Now, why in the world was every eye fixed upon him? And there's actually, if you go in and study, I, I did a lot of reading this week, and, and there's a bit of debate on that, actually. Because, but you look at it, and he actually opens this scroll. He's been handed the 61st chapter of Isaiah, and he starts reading. And the reality is he read a verse and a half, and he sat down. Now, if you look at the end of this, it says, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. That's where Jesus stopped, and there's a period. But if you go back to Isaiah chapter 61, it's written exactly the same, but instead of a period, there's a comma. And it continues on. So there's a part of me that thinks, you know, they're probably wondering, is he done? You know, he stopped right in the middle of a sentence, bam, and sat down. Because the next sentence actually goes on and and mentions the day of the vengeance of our God. Jesus didn't read that part. And so they're probably standing there looking at him going, "Does, does he have something to say? He stopped in the middle of the sentence there. And there's a lot of different people have different thoughts on exactly why he stopped there. Um, Some actually believe that the first part of that scripture is referring to the first coming of Christ. And the second part of it is referring to the second coming. The first coming, he was there, right? He was reading it. Second coming, we're still waiting on. But we know that through Jesus, the vengeance of God was appeased. Amen? So anyway, so they're all sitting there with their eyes fixed upon him. And then he speaks up, and he says, in the next scripture, he says, today this, is, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's when the trouble began, right? The New Living, it says, the scripture that you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now, these guys, they were very educated men. Many of them had memorized entire books of the Old Testament. They knew what this scripture was about. They knew it was about the coming Messiah. And he just said, the scripture you just heard is fulfilled this day. And it says that they began looking at one another saying, uh, is this the son of Joseph the carpenter? Who is this? Who is this guy? Right? Now, you got to understand that. Your hometown, I mean, that's got to be a difficult crowd to come back to. They've been waiting on the Messiah for a long time, right? And they knew Jesus is that, you know, that, that little punk kid that used to jump in the mud puddles, you know, and stuff down the street, the neighbor's kid, you know? He, he probably was playing baseball with the kids and got accused of knocking a ball through a window. He's Joseph and Mary's kid, right? And now, what is exactly is he saying? We know that um, 
he says a few more things that ticked them off even more. And, uh, and then uh, they drug him out and tried to throw him off a cliff. Very unsuccessfully. Um, they couldn't have killed Jesus anyway. It wasn't his time to go. Uh, says he walked through the midst of them, right? And uh, went on to the next place. But this was Jesus' mission statement. We'll put that on the screen, I think. Jesus was anointed, is anointed too. Preach or bring the gospel, the good news to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives that they'd be released. To proclaim recovery of sight to the blind that the blind would see. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, setting the oppressed free. And proclaiming that the time of the Lord's favor has come. A couple things to notice here. Firstly, everything that's written there is about others, isn't it? Nothing in there about Jesus, you know, that Jesus anointed to, you know, make lots of money and have a comfortable life, to have an extra day off and, you know, a week of paid vacation, you know, that these things aren't in there. It doesn't say anywhere in there that Jesus would be treated well by others, right? It doesn't say anything about him. Everything it says there is about, is about others, and the next thing I kind of noticed was, it says, he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, preach the gospel to the poor. And if you look in whatever translation, go back to the New King James, if you would. If you go back, and, and if you look in your translation, that's the, that's the first scripture there, the, the first part of, of verse 18. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, or to, to preach good news, um, preach the gospel to the poor. There's a period or semicolon at the end of every version right there. The rest of the points there all have a comma after him because it was all summed up in this first statement. It was all summed up in his mission was to bring the gospel, preach the gospel to the poor, to bring the good news to the poor, right? And if you look after that, the next four points, go back to the Jesus was anointed to, that, that list again, a couple slides down, yeah. The rest of those things, the next four actually all have commas after them because they're how he brought the good news, and then the last one, the sixth point, proclaim the time the Lord's favor has come, kind of sums it all up again. That's the good news, isn't it? So it kind of sums it all up in the, in the sixth point. So what did Jesus come to do? I'm going to give you a few things. We're, gonna, we're just going to kind of break this down for a minute. Number one, you got in your notes there, was to bring the good news to the poor. To bring the good news to the poor. So with this statement, there's two questions we got to ask. First one is what is the good news? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit more later on. But, you know, I, I used to wonder when I was younger, I remember thinking, man, if Jesus just didn't tell people the Messiah, he was the Messiah, things would have been a lot easier for him, right? That, that, that was the big issue. That was always stirring up trouble. Well, why did, I mean, I mean, especially in his hometown, come on, as Joseph's son, did he really have to walk into the synagogue and announce himself to be the Messiah? Yeah, he really did. <laughs> he really did. And if you could imagine him waking up that morning, the Spirit of the Lord saying to him, it's time. You need to tell him today. Your hometown. Oh, man. Gosh. Because oh. they're looking at Jesus and going, who does this boy think he is? Coming in here and announcing that he's our Messiah. Why did Jesus have to tell folks? Because he was the good news. Jesus knew that even the hometown folks would have to put their faith in the fact that he was the Messiah in order to be saved from the curse. They would have to accept that. 
He wasn't trying to stir something up. He knew he had to tell them the truth because he loved them. True? Jesus' message was a message of hope, and it was a message of promise. We know that he came as a sacrificial lamb that laid down his life, that took on the sin of the world, that fulfilled the law, that appeased the wrath of God, right? And he would change everything. He was the message. The debt for sin would be paid through him. So Jesus was the message. Who are the poor? Now we think of the poor, and we think of the poor being somebody doesn't have much money, right? In simplest terms. But I went and looked up in my Bible app. I was looking up the word there. The Greek word that's used for the word poor means destitute, means extremely lacking, unable to, unable to survive without being totally dependent on others, helpless, nothing they can do for themselves, in survival mode, at death's door, desperate for an answer. In this passage, the poor are those living outside of God's grace. We know that the justice of God demands that his law be followed perfectly, right? I don't think any of us have done that. And that's where the poor are. The poor have broken God's law, and therefore they are in debt. They, are, they owe a debt that is so big that they couldn't pay it back in a thousand lifetimes, right? They couldn't pay it back in all eternity. That's pretty poor, isn't it? These are the poor. Life is going to end badly when you're that indebted. True? So who are the poor? The poor are those outside of God's grace. The poor are the brokenhearted, the hopeless, the captives, those who have been conquered, the blind, those unable to see the truth, and the oppressed, those who have been crushed. So Jesus was called to bring the good news to the poor. Number two, in your notes, second thing Jesus called to do, to bring healing, deliverance, and freedom. And we see that right there. He's, he has sent me to proclaim the captives to be released. Let me go back to the New King James. To preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recover your sight to the blind, to liberty those who are oppressed, right? So he came to bring healing, deliverance, and freedom. And that's what we see during Jesus' life up to the point of his death, burial, and resurrection. This is what he spent his life doing. He spent his life freeing people from the curse of the enemy. Amen? John 1.38, I'm sorry, 1 John 3.8 says, But the Son of God came to do what? Destroy the works of the enemy. Well, if he came to destroy the works of the enemy, then what are the works of the enemy? Well, John 10.10. What does John 10.10 say? The thief comes... Not except to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Then Jesus comes back and says, but I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly, right? So because of the devil, there's a curse in the earth. Sin enters the world through him and wreaks havoc, right? So because of the enemy, mankind, when Jesus comes, is in this state of being brokenhearted, Captives bound in sin, blind to the truth, oppressed and beat down, full of sickness and disease, conflict in relationships, all these different things, but most importantly, separated from God. 
So what did Jesus do? In Acts chapter 10, verses 37, 38, I'm reading to you from the Message Bible. It says, you know the story of what happened in Judea. It began in Galilee after John preached a total life change. Then Jesus arrived from Nazareth, anointed by God with the Holy Spirit, ready for action. He went through the country helping people and healing everyone who was beat down by the devil. He was able to do all this because God was with him. This is what Jesus did. And as he did these things, as he walked around freeing people, as it said, delivering people, people began to look at him as the Messiah. People began to put their trust and their faith in him. You know, I thought about at one point, I thought, man, Jesus only walked on the earth for just a few years. What if, what if he'd done it longer? But look what just those few years did. It caused a revolution that turned the world upside down. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. And we're still living for him. And in reality, he had to go to send the Holy Spirit so the outpouring could be even greater. Amen? But people began to look at him as their Savior. Uh, as Jesus walked the earth, they, those that, um, the sick were being healed. He cast out demons from those that were bound. He, be, he befriended the outcasts. He gave hope to the hopeless. And he fulfilled the will of the Father. Jesus lived truly a selfless life. We quote him all the time, not my will, but yours be done, right? He lived to fulfill the will of the Father. That's what he lived by. He was always about Father's business, wasn't he? We see him say it the first time when he's 12 years old. Jesus said, I've come they may have life and have it more abundantly. He came to reverse the curse. He came to undo all the damage that the enemy had done and had been doing in the earth. He came to restore mankind to God. Amen? Which brings us to the last one, number three. The last thing he was called to do was proclaim that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Proclaimed at the time when the Lord's favor has come. Well, this was huge. This, this is the good news wrapped up. Um, and, you know, really, they first started looking toward this and expecting this. We see it in Genesis chapter 3. And many of you know that in, in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 14, 15, um, we know that Adam and Eve have sinned. They're standing before God. God's announcing the curse that they've brought themselves under, right? And, and he says in, in verse 14 in, in Genesis, chapter 3 of Genesis, because you've done this, talking to the serpent, you're cursed beyond all the cattle and wild animals, cursed to slink on your belly and eat dirt all your life. But then he said, I'm declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He'll wound your head and you'll wound his heel. This is when they began looking toward a Messiah, right? This was the beginning. God said, there's an offspring of woman coming. He's talking to the serpent, right? And he said, you're going to wound his heel, but he's going to wound your head. Have you know that, especially back in that day, head wounds were fatal? You're going to recover from a little heel wound. Any of you ever stepped on a rock and hurt your heel? And for a few days, you're like, oh, that kind of, that kind of stung a little bit, right? But you're going to be okay. But a head wound, especially in that day, that's a whole other story. And so they were waiting on this one that would come that would be a man, who would be the offspring of a human woman, who would wound the head of the enemy once and for all, and he would break the curse, right? And so from, we know that from this point onward, mankind was under a curse, waiting on the Messiah that would come to deliver them, to restore this relationship between man and God. And understand, too, that when, when it says here that, Je, that Jesus would proclaim that the time of the Lord's favor has come, the people of Israel, they knew God as the God of their forefathers. 
There wasn't a relationship between them and God. They didn't stop and talk to him the way that you and I can today. They knew him as the God who thundered on the mountaintops. They knew him as the God of ancient prophecy. They served him, but that's, that's how they knew him. That's how they served him, right? So, they were separated from him, and they knew him as the God that was behind the veil in the temple. We know that the Spirit of God rested upon the Ark of the Covenant, right? And you had that veil that, that covered it. And so, that's, where, that's how they related to God. They related to God through the high priest. They sacrificed animals to him, but that was their relationship with God. But when Jesus came, everything began to change. We know that from the time he was born in Luke 2.14... At his birth, the angels started singing, right? Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. What does that mean? That means peace between man and God. They began proclaiming it. Even the angels were excited, and they were declaring it. They couldn't keep their mouths shut because the curse was about to be broken. The good news had come, and it was time. The time of the Lord's favor had come to mankind. Jesus brought the peace, and he brought the goodwill because he was the good news. He was a sacrificial lamb. As I said, he knew that even his hometown folks would have to put their faith in the fact that he was the Messiah in order to be saved from the curse. This was the only truth that would save him. We know that when Jesus died, that the veil that covered the ark was torn in two, right? And everything changed. The prophecies of old had been fulfilled, and God once again was at peace with man. The time of the Lord's favor had come through Jesus. And so, in wrapping it up, guys, this is our example. This is, this is our mission. And obviously our lives, we, we think about Jesus, and, and we should put him up on a pedestal as our Messiah. But at the same time, really, our lives shouldn't look that much different than his. Our mission is the same. When we as Christians, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we die just like him. We, our flesh dies, our, our, our spirit dies, and we're born again. But we, our life is laid down with him, and he lives on through us, and we become his hands and feet in the earth, right? That is our, that is our mission. So our mission is the same, of his, same as his. We are called to bring the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim that the time of the Lord's favor has now come. Top priority. That's number one. If we've surrendered our lives to Jesus, this is what's supposed to be first and foremost above everything else. This is it. This is our mission. This is why God left us on earth. If it weren't for this, if this didn't matter and he had somebody else that was supposed to do it, then he would have taken you straight to heaven when you received Jesus. Okay, cool, you're done. And pulled you up. Instead, he said, nope, you've got to stay there in this fallen world and things are going to be rough sometimes, but I need you to do this. That's why he left us behind. That's what he's got for us to do. Now, with that said, it's going to look a little different maybe than it did in Jesus' day. And that's kind of the practical things we'll get to in a couple of weeks is 
I don't believe that, I believe that this is supposed to be an easy thing. That we, are, we love God with our lives and we share him with those around us. And we'll talk more about that in the next couple of weeks. Next week, we'll talk about Jesus' specific commands. What is it that he told his disciples? What is it he told the believers that he left behind that we see in Scripture? And what can we get from that ourselves? And what does that mean for us today? But in the meantime, let's, let's bow our heads together. And I would ask you, you know, firstly, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? That's... First and foremost, that's the most important thing. It's, it's hard to share him with others if he's not Lord of your life. And I'm, I'm not talking about a prayer here. I'm talking about your life. Have you surrendered your, your life to him? I, I'm, I'm talking about dying to yourself and deciding that you're going to do things God's way, that you're going to live out his purpose and his plan for your life to the end. Maybe you're sitting here and maybe... Maybe you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you are the brokenhearted. Maybe you're the captive. Maybe you're the blind one. Maybe you're the one that's oppressed and crushed. That's perfect because you're the one that Jesus came for. Just like the rest of us. We've all been in that state before. And Jesus is the answer. He's the good news. He is the hope and he is the promise. Don't hold back. Life is too short. These few years on earth determine all eternity, not just for us, but for those around us. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It means that we've surrendered our life to him. It means that just like Jesus, the motto of our life is, Father, not our will, but yours be done. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We go where he says to go and we do what he says to do. We follow his example. We act like he would act. We respond the way he would respond. We live a selfless life that's dedicated to him. And obviously this is a process and something that we walk out day by day. But it should be obvious that this is the focus of our lives. This is what we're striving to do. Far from perfection but we're moving forward every day, step by step, in step with him, looking a little bit more like Jesus every day. Every head bowed, if that's you, and you would say, you know what, I, man, my life is just, my life is not really surrendered to Jesus. I'm living my life for myself. I'm doing things my own way. I'm pursuing my own dreams. I, man, God is totally falling on the back burner in my life. Or you would say, you know what, I realize today that I've really never surrendered my life to Jesus. Maybe I've never looked at it that way. I, I prayed a prayer once, but it, it, I, I, ne- I, never, I never realized that there was a cost in this. I thought I could keep doing things my own way and living for myself. That's you, and you would say, you know what, I, I've got to surrender today. I've, it's a fresh start in a new year, and I've got to start it right. That's you, and you would say, I've got to give my life to Jesus. Every head bowed, lift your hand and let me see. Who would say that? I've got to surrender today. Who would say, I need to give my life to Jesus? I need to rededicate my life. Jesus, you need to be number one in me. We're going to pray together. Whether you raise your hand or not, the Bible says that if you really mean it, 
really mean the words that we say, that everything changes, that you're a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things become new. And as you yield yourself, Jesus will live through you and you'll be a beacon of hope and of light to those around you, to those brokenhearted, to those blind, to those oppressed. God will use you to do the things that you were created to do. You'll do things that you couldn't imagine. Let's all pray to God. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for sending your only son to lay down his life in my place. I am not deserving I've lived for myself. But today I set those things aside. And I choose to live for you. I ask your forgiveness. And I thank you for freedom. In Jesus' name. Jesus, I believe that you came. And that you died in my place. But that you were resurrected. And today I call you my Lord. I call you my Savior, my Messiah, my Master. Lead and guide my life. I will live for you from this day and forever. Holy Spirit, fill me. Empower me to be everything that you've called me to be. I give you myself all the way to the end. I love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for our Savior and our Messiah, but Lord, the example he lived on this earth. And Lord, we choose to live that example in Jesus' name. Begin to show us this week as we meditate on your word. Begin to show us the areas of our heart that we need to change. Show us the areas that that, that we need to bring in alignment with the image of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Lord, that we can truly be that beacon of hope to those around us. God, I pray that you would begin to reveal to us the people that you have placed in our sphere of influence. Those people at our work, those people at our school, maybe it's somebody at the store, who knows what it is. Maybe it's even family. Begin to, God, I pray that our heart would just break for the people around us in Jesus' name. That we would walk with an awakened awareness that all those that we pass every day are either lost or saved. And Lord, that we would just be burdened with eternity in Jesus' name. That that we would be compelled to show your love, Lord. We would be compelled to open our mouths and speak the truth in love as we saw modeled and exampled by Jesus, our Savior. God, I just pray for a, just for a fresh burden of souls in Jesus' name. it would just break our hearts when we see family members that are away from you. It would break our hearts when we see the condition of our nation in this world. People are so lost and they're so searching and they're looking everywhere but to you. God, give us opportunities to speak the right words in the right moments. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. We declare, Lord, that as we yield ourselves and, and step out, Lord, we declare signs and miracles and wonders in Jesus' name. Lord, that you will move in power In Jesus' name, 
God, that we would never do it at our own strength, but that everything that we do and everything that we say would point to you in Jesus' name. That we would never take one ounce of credit, but that it would all go to you. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.